This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm Norman Lau, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcasts.roddenberry.com for you to choose from. Science, feminism, even daily news. Boldly go and find us when you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcasts.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Sterling found the opening goal in the second half as he touched past Newer. Kane then sealed a 2-0 win for England as Germany are knocked out of the Euro 2020. A huge confidence-boosting victory for England at the Wembley. And welcome to episode 61 of the Half Mrs. Podcast. Paul, great day for you. I'm, I'm in shock. It's been, from a footballing perspective, one of the greatest days ever. I did not expect you to come out with that, especially when I said to you before the pod, did you see the goals? And you're like, nah. <laughs> amazing, amazing. <laughs> That's all I've got. That- Oh, should we make the whole podcast about England, Germany? And I can, we can go all the way back to 66. We can talk about 70, 1996, 2010. We can talk about it all. Uh, let's save that for a special edition, you know, a maybe special? just for the patrons. A special. Okay. Special. Well, so apart point. from that, you've been up early watching the football. You, you're well, Paul? I'm really well. But yeah, I just been watching so much football and it's, it's just the, the, because New Zealand is on the other side of the world. It means you're up at 4am watching things in the middle of the night and so my sleep is disrupted and of course my work's not affected. You know, I'm a professional, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, only ever take a half measures with the podcast, never with your work, you know. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, on that note, apart from the football, what have you been watching? Okay, so first up for you, Dan, I have a an Irish... TV uh, miniseries from 2019 called Dublin Murders. Uh, so yeah, eight episodes, Irish crime series. It's based on a uh, two novels by an author called Tana French, and it's about these two Irish detectives um, who basically get dispatched to go investigate the, the murder of a young girl in, in Dublin. And I'll tell you, it's it's the subject matter is pretty tough. I mean, there are some shows that I a borderline for me another show was a show called the missing where these kids get there's some shows that are just almost borderline for me but if you like police dramas if you like using your brain and if as i say if you can handle this subject matter this this could definitely be one for you have you heard of this one before then no i haven't whereabouts what platform is this on so in new zealand it's available on neon uh i'll try and be be spoiler light in this one but uh What's interesting about this is, you know, as, as I said, it's based on books. It's actually based on two books by the same author. And so you kind of, 
you can kind of tell watching this because there's these two stories that are clearly quite separate, but they're intertwined together into one miniseries. And uh, I really rated this. I really had a great, great time watching it because it's it's just this it's this brutal story, and it never attempts to sort of trying to be spoiler free. Never really attempts to give you a happy ending or like it doesn't even solve some of the major plot points. So if you think about like a whodunit type story and it kind of ends partly with some of it not being explained, normally that would be unthinkable, but it just seems to work well with this particular series. Um, the people in this in this town, uh, well, it's in the suburb, the suburb of Dublin, and they're just capable of saying the most horrible cutting things like more cutting than i've heard in a long time like well you know what gilead turns people into it's it's the same thing here um but because i'm a bad human being i i really enjoyed that and i found it really addictive to watch and uh, even the two main um the two main protagonists uh, who are played by killian scott and sarah green two people i've not seen before both superb as these these irish guard Garda, sorry and um yeah it's you don't get attached to them like you do with like a Anna and Fleming and line of duty because they've they've, they've got little character flaws that um, just sort of keep your distance from them but it's it's just really good it's a it refuses this it refuses to paint the dots for you as the audience so it doesn't make it straightforward it doesn't you don't necessarily understand how things are connected or, or what is or is not significant so it does require like a lot of patience to watch but i found that really really rewarding so yeah a real a hidden gem never heard of it before but i give it all the guns akimbo down it's awesome i was just having a look at the the poster and some of the uh the cast while you were talking and it definitely looks interesting it does look up my alley so i'm just trying to is this a a potential series that's going to sort of be ongoing or is this a, a limited series what was your what was your take no, on that i i would well, I guess I don't know for sure, but I would, I would bet my house on it being a miniseries that's not going to come back uh, just because of the nature of the stories and the characters and how it finishes. Even though I said it doesn't solve everything, it, it sort of finishes. If it were to come back, it would be the characters in a very different place. So it would be a completely different type of show. So I wouldn't be against it. I would just be surprised. Perhaps if I'd done some research and actually looked at the books, maybe I'd know for sure. But I would be shocking. I'd be shocked if it came back. I think this is an eight, eight uh, mini series. It's twenty nineteen. It does say on IMDb it's got the little hyphen, you know, giving the indication that maybe there's more. But I, I don't think so. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a, a good little find. Yeah, definitely. And this, yeah. The shout out I'd give to this guy Killian Scott, who played the lead Rob Ryder. He they're all good, but he was particularly good. I thought he was I've not seen him before, but he was he was quite exceptional. And then the other thing I've watched other than the football this week is the Hunger Games, uh, the second one, Catching Fire. So this was the twenty thirteen follow up. Uh Katniss Everdeen and Peter Mellock become the targets of the capital after their victory in the seventy fourth Hunger Games. And uh, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed Stanley Tucci's character. Uh, that's my main takeaway from this movie. His over-the-top character I talked about last week. He really ramps it up a gear. His wider-than-white smile, his forced laugh, and his voice—it's there's way more to it than this movie than Stanley Tucci, but he stands out for me. Um, this one I've noticed is has got heaps of really great reviews. It's trending higher than the first movie as well. 
and I can see why in terms of I don't know how much you remember but how much it ramps up I can see why I still prefer the first one just from the, the simplicity of that first movie if, if I'm being honest but uh the actual Hunger Games the games themselves within this movie they're more intense there's a lot more action and faster it's more adrenaline fueled but um so much of this movie is about building up the resistance uh, rather than the games themselves so it's kind of got an empire strikes back feel to me because it goes deeper into this this universe it goes a little darker and then it has an ending that just leaves you you know just wanting to know what happens next one in the next one so uh, yeah it was a good fun watch though that's awesome it's uh all this talk about the Hunger Games is definitely inspiring a bit of a potential rewatch. It's been a long time since I've seen these movies, but um, just such a great cast, isn't it? So, so many great moments, great story, uh, and, and an easy watch as well. No, for sure. And look, I, will, I will make a couple of sort of criticisms, if I may. It does go on a wee bit long for me. I, I love a long movie if it's the right genre, and uh, I don't know top of my head i'm thinking movies like the irishman or the godfather those sorts of things but i don't know that i needed two and a half hours for this um i could have been i would have been happy with two hours i think but um and the other thing and i hate to speak ill of the dead but i have to say that philip seymour hoffman who came into this movie uh inexplicably for um the character previously played by Jamie Dudden from Yellowstone. I forget the guy's name now, but uh, he was pretty flat in this, I thought. And so I was kind of confused as to why they... I mean, I guess I guess it's following the novels. I guess that's why it is. But um, yeah, he was he was a little flat. But hey, there's there's a lot in here that's enjoyable. I'm definitely looking forward to going Mockingjay now. And uh, yeah, I just hope there's plenty more Stanley Tucci because he's the real star here. <laughs> it's awesome. That's uh, well, that sounds like you've fitted a few things in. A whole sort of eight-part series in a, in a movie is pretty good, considering all the football commitment. Um, I'm committed to this podcast, Dan, and I know that's what you're looking for here. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, so one thing uh, that I've watched uh, this past weekend is a movie on Netflix uh, with Will Smith in it called Gen- Gemini Man. And the, the synopsis of this movie is it's about an over-the-hill hitman who faces off against a younger clone of himself. So um, I'm not sure if you remember seeing the, the trailers for this at all, but this is a, like, it was a pretty action-packed trailer. There's lots going on. The, the movie's action-packed. It's, a, it's a quite a good story. It's got quite a good cast and director. Like It's also got Clive Owen. It's directed by Ang Lee. Uh, and so you've basically got the story of Will Smith, who I think is a, is a pretty good action hero in these types of movies. He's great in things like Bad Boys and this. He's really sort of you know, I am legend, it's, it's really his um, specialty area. And so he's basically fighting against this younger version of himself. And um, and I think what was really hard going about this movie is you've got this quite interesting story, interesting premise, but they've used obviously a CGI version to make a, a younger version of Will Smith. And it was really off-putting for the entire movie and it just made me sit there thinking the whole time this is a cgi young version of will smith 
this movie felt like it needed another 20 years in the oven. Like, we don't have the technology. You know, George Lucas knows when we don't have the technology. He, he sits back and he waits. And I think this is what this type of movie needed. Like, you either had to go with an actor, like one of Will Smith's kids, he's got plenty of them who are actors, who could have came and filled, filled the role. Um, but to use a CGI one, it just... It was a shame it really let it down because this, this is a fun movie and, and I would normally highly recommend it, but it's just so off-putting having a CGI version of Will Smith. So Dan, you've always had a, a bit of a bit of an issue, I think, it's fair to say, with CGI characters because I often reference Tack in, in, in Rogue One simply because I know, I know it can be triggering. But uh, it's a shame though, isn't it? Because we were talking about this with... Tron Legacy, which is the 2010 movie with, uh, oh my goodness, his name's gone, Ter- terrible. Um, but yeah, we thought at that point uh, I was I was making the comment, oh, you know, it's it's not really quite there yet. Yeah, they they really need to to Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges. It's not quite at that level. But that was 2010, and so like you fast forward, and you'd like to think that they're at that level. If they're going to make a whole movie, as you say, where it's about a a younger clone sort of um facing off I, I think that's the thing like when there's a, a brief moment like Tarkin or we see Leia or a young Luke like in a brief moment you can kind of let it slide but anytime the the camera has to hold on that uh that character for example with Luke for example with uh a young Will Smith you can just see through it like there's like a you know in um tv shows when people drink empty cups of coffee it's you're, it's like you're looking at an empty character and there's something about it that I don't know, just doesn't have the, the human emotions for me. And it's, there was something about the way they had uh, Will Smith's sort of resting face didn't seem right and it didn't seem natural and it didn't have sort of the same, I guess, um, uh, movements and motions that you would see in a, mm. in a, in a natural actor. And so it, co- it constantly just reminded me this is a CGI character. And for, for some reason, I just I found it really hard to look past. But as I say... I actually think the movie itself is definitely, you know, it's a great popcorn movie. It's kind of worth a watch if you can get past that. But if you if you can't, it's going to bother you. I notice it's scoring real low, both from the critics and the audience. And I wonder how much of that is is because of the, the types of things you've just talked about and and what other factors might be there. Because because like you say, Ang Lee is a director. He has great movies. You know, a lot of lot of hits in there. And you know, Will Smith. Clive Owen, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, there's a strong cast there. Um, the one thing you said, Dan, that kind of made me chuckle, and I realise now that you actually read it from the synopsis when you described, you know, an over-the-hill hitman. And I was thinking, since when is Will Smith over the hill? And then I checked, he, he's 53. I just, I don't understand how Will Smith can be 53. He's, 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 he's 25, and, you know, it's like Harrison Ford is always 34. It's incredible to think he's 53. So, uh, okay, the plot does I work guess... in that respect. I guess over the hill in the sense of of a hitman, right? Yeah. Like yeah. a hitman is a is a young person's game, and there's lots of I I imagine running <laughs> up and down stairs, carrying your sniper rifle around, doing things quickly, escaping. You know, so I would imagine over forty in the hitman game is you know, uh, you know, you're not really in your prime. Correct. Yeah, it always makes me think of Lethal Weapon Four when Mel Gibson and, and Danny Glover are running around, and they're like. We're too old for this shit, and it's it's like yeah, you, you pass your prime in that game. So fair yeah. call. I'm interested though. I, I like the premise, and I like Will Smith, so I, I would probably still give this a go. 
So the other thing that I've watched uh, on Netflix is a TV show called Black Summer. So uh, season one of Black Summer came out on Netflix back in 2019 and it's kind of disappeared for, for a while, which I guess, like most things, probably because of the pandemic. Um, but it's just recently come back with season two. And so we've just made the call to basically rewatch all of season one because it's been so long and we're about three quarters through season two and I've got to say Paul this is one of the best zombie tv shows ever and you might think to yourselves hold on a minute I'm looking at the IMDB reviews and they don't look very good they're wrong they're broken this honestly is so freaking good season one amazing season two amazing i think what is so great about black summer as a a zombie tv show is first of all we've got a a slightly different type of zombie to what we're used to in the walking dead which we often talk about here on the pod and it's kind of feels much more real life so first of all just a a little bit of sort of context about these uh zombies not that they're ever referred to as zombies but basically outbreak starts people get um bitten and then they, they get turned, much like they're doing Walking Dead. But these aren't slow-moving uh, zombies that take a few steps. These are like speed freak zombies that will just like chase you down in a manic, absolute batshit way, smashing through like walls, windows, whatever to get to you. So you've got to be really careful. Then, you know, it's got this amazing story of these characters who who kind of sort of their stories all intertwine in a, in a really great way and this program I am on the edge of my seat constantly I could not recommend the show more to anyone who is a Walking Dead fan it is so gritty it is so you know like you know often we you know when we talk about the Walking Dead we talk about our frustrations about you know why would you let that happen why would you let this person do this or you know, people make real life snap decisions in this TV show all the time. Like, and it's, I, I just can't speak highly enough. And it's, it's so sad when I look at the IMDb reviews. Uh, it's in about 6.5 out of 10 at the moment with uh, 23,000 reviews. I just don't think it's fair. Like, this has got a, a great cast, a great story. Um, it's, it's, as I say, it's edge of the seat material. And, and I highly recommend it. You've really pulled me in. Yeah, honestly, there's so much that you've just said that just really appeals. Whilst you were giving me all that, I was just sort of clicking around some of the things, and I see. So, is this a prequel to to Z Nation, or a sequel to Z Nation, or is it unrelated to Z Nation? Or do you not even know what I'm talking about when I say Z Nation? I know what Z Nation is, but I don't. I don't know if it's anything to do with this. But okay. I, yeah, so. I think I might have seen an episode of, of Z Nation, but uh, in my, I, I don't think of this as having any association. It may do, and I'm just not aware of it. But this is, and it's such a great watch. Like, so season one, eight episodes, season two, eight episodes. We watched the first season over two nights. We've just about finished the second season. And it's, honestly, Paul, you're going to love it. You, As a Walking Dead fan, you're going to love it because you're just going to get to see the, the way that these characters survive that you know they've still got the same challenges of the the zombies are just as scary as the, as the humans in this show the the consequences of actions play out super fast 
you instantly kind of care about different characters. It's this is this is a good show. I'm really intrigued. I feel like this could be quite easy for me to sell at home as well. I feel like this has got all the ingredients. This is a big Walking Dead house, as you know. So I think I think this could be. We're going to watch uh, like you. We're going to watch Bosch, you know, because that's come out now uh, for next week. But maybe the week after, I could be coming in on Black Summer as well. So 16 episodes. We'll see how we go. Well, that'll probably work out quite well because I would have finished season two. So maybe uh, if you if you do get into it, we'll, we'll do a bit of a, a deeper season two review. But and if you're a if you're a zombie fan out there and you're listening to the pod, get amongst that. It's 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 not very often I I just give such a glowing review of like a a random series on Netflix. And there's a few people I've told about the show, and they've all gone straight to IMDb and been like, uh, "Are you mm. sure? Like the reviews they're not that great." But honestly. The reviews are wrong. I don't know who's reviewing this show, but it's wrong. It's so good. I, I can't wait for you to watch it and have a, a deep dive about it. Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to it. All right. Shall we uh, move on over to some of the shows that we've been watching together? Shall we start off with Star Wars The Bad Batch? Indeed. So season one, episode nine, Bounty Lost, The Batch and Back on a Rescue Mission. Honestly, Dan... There's a job there for us to go and write some synopsis. This 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 episode though, uh, another goodie for me. I I really enjoyed it, and I I know you and I have been sort of low key moaning about you know not caring too much about Omega for like the last two months, but now that we've confirmed that she is uh, an unaltered unaltered clone of Django Fett. No tampering with the structure, you know, no growth acceleration. So she's Boba Fett's sister. Do we care about her a little bit more now, Dan? We care about her. We care about the Bad Batch. We care about everything about this universe. <laughs> there is something, you know, it happened last week, but it, it really just like locked it all in for me this week as I was like, you know what? I care about the show. I care about what's happening. And I had a fantastic time. And that fight scene between Fennec Shand and uh, Cad Bane top tier this this is what i live for in the rebels and clone wars universe so freaking good and not to mention as you've just said with the uh omega there's a whole bunch of new sort of like theories we can talk about with this episode that there's mm. some exciting stuff to unpack here also i like you know on the subject of omega and boba fett they, they revealed that boba fett was originally named alpha so you know you know alpha and omega that gives us a bit more understanding about her name as well um, the the fight scene that you described between Cad Bane and and Fennec Shand that was as you say next level. What I liked about it was that it was it was a very prolonged battle. But what they did, which I thought was quite good for the fans of either character or both characters, was neither one of them quite had the upper hand over the other. So each time one of them seemingly had a new move or a new gadget they could use, the other had something that they could recover with or or bounce back from. Like when Shand hit. Bane over the top and he's just like it's okay I've got my rocket boosters you know I mean it was just it was really great the the character of Cad Bane I mean I mean I don't know how deep we could go but I would watch a a spin-off show about him as well I mean there's just there's just so much depth there but uh really really as you say great episode really uh really drawn in um my my least favorite Star Wars movie of all time is Attack of the Clones but one of the good things that came out of that movie for me was 
the whole Camino story and the Caminos um, and Django Fett and the Halak. So, I, I, so what I've been loving about it is how much of that has featured in the Bad Batch so far. And you know, this week, Torn Way finally met her end, and I have a feeling, given that we know what happens with stormtroopers as opposed to clone troopers, that more Caminos will will follow suit as this series pans out. Yeah, no, look, definitely. And I think what was really interesting is obviously when, you know, we're sort of getting a bit more of a a deeper dive into these cloning facilities, there's some real strong sort of linkages to, you know, those back to tanks. Like, you know, is this how uh, Snoke was um, created? Is this sort of the origin of the the Emperor being created? There's, There's so much sort of good stuff to explore here. And... Yeah, I'm with you with that. Like that fight scene was a long fight scene, right? And it was, I think this is where um, Dave Filoni really sort of excels. Like that that fight scene isn't a a PG rated fight scene for, for young kids. Like there is some hardcore stuff happening in there, but it's done in a kind of a, a tasteful Star Wars way with some great action moments. And I I just can't like it's really the, the pennies drop for me, and I'm just having such a great time with the show now. I saw a real cool meme on Twitter, I think, this week of Cad Bane pictured alongside Clint Eastwood character from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, and it's it's clear the inspiration that, that they've got for that character. It's a, it's a lot of fun. The other thing I noticed this week, for the first time in about three episodes or so, there was no big, no big ending. There was no cliffhanger. And so that makes me feel like maybe we, we've sort of... We, we, kind of finish that arc and maybe the next story could and should go in maybe a completely somewhat different direction maybe we could go back to the empire and see what governor tarkin's been up to see if any of those morning teas that we talked about have panned out but um yeah i think they've 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 tidied it up nicely i really enjoyed this arc and i i hope i hope we're in for a strong finish because we've still got uh quite a few episodes to go yeah, no, definitely. And I was actually quite impressed with how quickly they got Omega back as well. Like, mm. that could have been one of those things that dragged out over uh, half a dozen episodes. It definitely does raise a whole bunch of questions for me now, though, if potentially Omega does end up having some type of Force-sensitive abilities. What does it actually mean for Boba, particularly in their sort of, you know, brother-sister relationship? I've, I've got so many questions. The theories are sort of brewing away in my mind. Uh, I think we're we're in for a treat for the rest of the season. Indeed, we are. Uh, next up, then, and I guess we should remind listeners if you're not fans of Star Wars or Rick and Morty or whatever else we're going to talk about, just use the show notes and the show timings to to move ahead because it's time for the next episode of Rick and Morty. Multiplicity. So this is a. I don't know about you, Paul, but this was a fantastic episode of Rick and Morty. And what I love about this show is it's actually super smart and also super simple at the same time. And basically the the whole episode premise is around the Smiths suspect that they've been hunted um, by an alien race. It turns out to be clones. And then there's clones on top of clones on top of clones on top of clones that are sort of hunting and killing each other. And you constantly think you're with the the real... um, Rick and Morty and Jerry and Beth and, and Summer, but just the, I don't know, this was such a funny episode. I had a really great time. How about yourself? I really enjoyed it too. I love the way when you just reeled off all the names, I loved the way, I don't know if it was intentional or just purely accidental, but the way you left Summer to the end, it was kind of funny how across these multiple universes, the attitudes and the 
the core characteristics characteristics of all the characters were were spot on, including their shared sort of disdain and <laughs> understanding of, of the characters. So, um, the first thing I was going to say to you was, you are from last week. You are one hundred percent right. The language in the show it has been ramped up, and I feel like it really works for this particular type of this this type of um, this type of show with these characters and and, and the fact that they're bringing that that change in language five seasons in almost is like a it's it's an acknowledgement that they've already got the fans and it's anything goes now i think too you know it's one of those shows where you know any other even animated show you are watching and all of the main characters got instantly killed you'd be like what the hell like how are we going to deal with this but i think in the the rick and morty universe there's so many um so much fun they can have with the characters and the storytelling that there, there really is no limits to what they can do no you're right and I, I i love the way you know they almost admitted through the writing of the of that episode that they didn't know or even care if the, the people who were left at the end were actually the real characters or the clones it was kind of like it was hard to work out at what point who was who and whatever and that was the whole point of it but uh I don't know what it is about this show that, for me, makes it a cut above all of the other animated comics. It's just just a little tier above, and I remember for years being told about it, and I looked at the poster and thinking, really, is this show really, you know, that great? The animation kind of looks odd, but I could easily binge. Anytime I find someone who hasn't seen the show, I'm like, oh, you need to get straight on it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. It's, it's such a good time. Uh it's obviously not a, a, a sort of style of humour for everyone, but oh, uh, yeah, yeah, there, <laughs> there's some people that I just would, would not recommend the show to, but uh, if you're a little bit maybe freer with your uh, <laughs> sense of humour, then th- this could be one for you. It is borderline. Um, the, the, the one with the comment with the varnish in this episode, I don't know how they get away with it. It's great. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, should we move on to a show that we've both been watching, uh, Lupin Season 2? Yeah, so Season 1 came out at the start of this year, and we, we kind of knew back then that the, or not Season 1, Part 1, we knew that Part, I think it's called Part 2, isn't it? I've been calling it Season 2 as well, but the second part, second season, whatever, was coming out mid-year, and here we are. And so this is this... Uh, this French show, uh, and it's based on... So there's this fictional character called Arsene Lupin, and this series is about a guy who's obsessed with that, that character, Lupin, and he's sort of he's sort of inspired by his sort of... the way he commits crimes and disguise and general sneaking around. And this second part, for me, um, was a very different watch to the, to the first part, and I think... There was there's positives and negatives for that, but I'm keen to hear what you think first. Yeah, so I'm I'm coming at this a little bit differently, even though we're doing a sort of a part two review. Uh, I watched this was the, the first time watching part one and part two for me, and I this was an interesting show. So first first of all, it's a a show that needs to be watched with subtitles, obviously being being filmed in France, and there's really the only way to watch it. Uh, I tried it for a brief moment with the with the dub, but it was horrible. Can't be done. No. Um, I So I watched the first episode of the show and I was like, oh my God, why have I been waiting for so long? I, sh- I should have jumped on this ages ago. And I, I texted you actually, Paul, and I was like, this show's great. 
and season one sorry part episode one hooked me in so quickly mm. and i kind of thought i was in for a a great sort of heist movie throughout sort of i guess part one and eventually on, on to part two but it didn't quite um play out like that for me um i and i don't know whether and I, i'm sort of i'm struggling to draw the line of where part one ended and part two started but one of the things i think for me is I don't know whether this needed 10 episodes for the story that they've told so far. And I I wonder whether it would have been a, a tighter, better package in, I don't know, six to eight episodes to tell the story that they wanted to tell. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, and I think your experience of watching it back to back in one go, possibly, I think that would be a lot clearer to see as well because for me they feel very distinct. So the first one all about avenging his father the second one all about rescuing the son and then getting revenge on that guy um i i would i would disagree on the basis that i watched it separately so i'm coming at it from a different angle but i found i found them very different and this is what i was talking about before in terms of positives and negatives this the second part was a real slow burn compared to the to the first part and it didn't have it didn't appear to have uh, the, the same sort of heist element to it because it was kind of like a bit of a you know, bit of Mission Impossible, a bit of the Saints, you know, all kinds of things rolled together. But uh, this second one, it, it felt very straightforward when I was watching it. I was like, oh yeah, where's this going? But as it unfolded, it became apparent that so much of what you'd seen in sort of the first three episodes of that second part were actually all a complete fabrication and, and everything that you saw was just this deep, deep web of lies and so that made it worth it when you got to that point but there was a point where three episodes in i was thinking the same as you and then i, I quite enjoyed the fact that we'd sort of been all tricked as an as an audience we were tricked as well we we, we believed what we'd seen yeah yeah like it's definitely like it's a clever show in the way that uh lupin sort of you know plays uh that you know as, as the synopsis says that the gentleman thief and he 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 so delicately kind of gets away with a whole bunch of uh, different things, often sort of, you know, skirting sort of the, the grey areas of the law. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think, because I think you're right, like that's probably a, a good way to look at it, like, you know, the, the first half really much being focused on uh, Avenging the Dad and, and the second half sort of the, the wider story. But I still, I guess I was still looking for, episode one just hooked me in with like they planned this heist um it was all sort of like expertly sort of like every little detail was worked out it reminded me a little bit of uh money heist is yeah, that the show yeah, I'm thinking yeah, of? Yeah, yeah. yeah and i wanted more of that but i sort of felt like the whole the whole story of the whole 10 episodes of this show ultimately about sort of avenging the past and um I see that at the end they're kind of like Lupin will be back for a part three. I really hope that with this show, now that that's kind of like hopefully hopefully kind of dealt with, it does get into a little bit more of that. Mm. Um, I, I really enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed, um, I guess, the, the little twists and turns. I guess for me it was just a it – was, it was a little bit slow in places. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I think, you know, possibly four episodes – for would would be my limit i think i think anything less than that you'd 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 lose some of the detail because it for me it was one of those stories that you had to peel the layers back 
only mm. to find that what you thought was real before wasn't. It's kind of it's like Rick and Morty. No, what, what, what's actually real here? But the the show itself, and this this applies to part one and part two. The, the lead actor Omar Sy, he's really impressive. His his character son, despite the fact that you know he's this thief, he's just he's just so easy to like. So. Yeah, you can empathize with his situation. He wants to restore his family's honor. Then his son gets taken, and you know at that point you're totally team his son. And I just love, I love the the way that he finds himself to get into situations that are really impossible. This the the story is great. The writing is great. I had a look, and it's it's that guy George K again who keeps coming up on this pod. You know, with Criminal UK. Uh, Killing Eve so it's no wonder it's a good standard my main criticism actually of this second part looking back on it is there are some moments where I'm I'm like are we really supposed to believe that that happens like you know whether it's how he gets out of handcuffs and I know that's something that people can do so I'll let that one go but there was this bit of a plot hole for me where where they orchestrate this whole um, art theft um, including a fake news report um but it's not real and it's really it's really well done but as clever that as that is all it takes is the the woman who's being fooled by this con to just literally when she's getting her coffee in the morning just say to someone oh what about that piece of art that got stolen to just one person and everyone would be like what are you talking about there's nothing's happened and so there was just some very it's a plot hole, but it's kind of like you know you you need it, you need all the pieces to stay right on the money, otherwise your 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 plan just falls completely flat, and the whole thing's not going to work. But hey, that's a minor criticism. It's it's fiction. I feel really bad for saying that now, but it did cross my mind a couple of times. Yeah, well, there there was a few moments like that wasn't there where uh, I think you know even using your handcuff example at the start, like the the switcheroo of handcuffs and things happening so quickly. There there's just no way that no sound would be made or you know even just the the dynamic of how those cuffs would have had to be like moved from one set of hands to another is is crazy but i think we're we're really sort of picking it um at threads here i think because overall this is a i think a, a, a quite a fun watch i think it's something a little bit different i think there's something you know and samara said this to me like she really enjoyed watching the sort of like wholesome character mm. um, of uh, Lupin played by Amasai is, as he's just like, he, he's a really likable character and, you know, he's not doing anything untoward. Like, like I watch a lot of TV shows where something like Black Summer is a great example where people are bloody horrible to one another. And this is a show where, you know, though some sort of dastardly things are happening, it's all happening in a, a fairly, um, light-hearted way for most of the show. Most of the show, there is some dark moments in this in, in part two. No, they definitely are. And you're right. This is what I guess what I was trying to say about this character. He is just so likable in that respect, and that's that's always great. Because yeah, Black Summer, Dublin murders. There are some horrible people out there, and Hassan, he he, he is not one of them. And uh, I think I like you. I think Money Heist is a good shout. You know, I was sort of saying Mission Impossible, The Saint. I think if you enjoy crime dramas with that mix of illusion or sleight of hand or some disguises and just, you know, I I was even going to say a little bit of Da Vinci Code. I don't know. I, I feel like you'd quite enjoy this. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested, go and check that out on Netflix. And I'm sure we'll be back talking about this when part three comes out. Indeed. 
Shall we move on over then to our movie of the week section? Indeed. So each week, Paul and I take turns choosing a different movie of the week. If you'd like to find out what that movie is before we talk about it here on the podcast, then you should come and join our Discord channel uh, where we announce that movie every week. So this week, we are reviewing the 2020 movie, The New Mutants. So, five young mutants just discovering their abilities whilst being held in a secret facility against their will fight to escape their past sins, and save themselves. At the risk of sounding a bit like you, Dan, I kind of wish they made this into like a four or five miniseries because there wasn't enough here for a movie for me. What about you? This was garbage, Paul. There (laughs) is... um, And look, this movie has undergone... Like, it's got a history of problems, right? So it was originally due to come out, I think, in about 2018... Um, they tried to sort of rewrite the script based on the the poor fan reception of X-Men Apocalypse. Um, they had various delays. It, got, it, it was supposed to, I think, come out in the theaters um, pre-COVID. Didn't happen. Uh, came out sort of straight to sort of streaming in a bunch of places and maybe a really small theatrical release. This should have been probably a great opportunity to start a new uh, generation of the of the X-Men and they've even got a like a pretty great cast that's, that's attached to it but I thought that the the story was subpar that I actually didn't really enjoy the, the the characters and the way they kind of interacted with each other I didn't feel any connection to them I thought the special effects were ho-hum at times and there was a, a bit of a desire that this was going to be a, a trilogy, and that's that's not going to happen now. Um, and you know, from the the news that I've seen around the place, really, this needs to get cleaned up um, by Marvel properly. And Kevin Feige needs to get involved and completely reset the X Men and bring them into the MCU. Winston Wolf needs to get involved. They need to send in the Wolfman and, and and sort this mess out because I, I agree with everything you said there, which is which is rare. Um, I. Uh... <laughs> I, I really think you, you're on the money. I, I think, firstly, I'm so out of the loop. I mean, talk about half measures. I'm such a noob. I didn't even realise this was an X-Men movie when I chose it. I thought it sounded interesting. It had a cool poster. And I actually messaged you when we got to the 39-minute mark. And it was literally when the characters themselves started talking about the X-Men. And at first I was like, are they talking about the movie? And that's kind of lame if they are. And then I was like, oh, wow, okay. This is actually part of the universe. So uh look if we if i'm judging this as part of the x-men franchise this is bottom of the pile this is worse than x-men apocalypse which i also give a hard time but uh i think my my comment at the start about if it was a tv show i might feel differently that's because my expectations are higher with movies and my my patience is way less with tv i feel like i'm prepared to invest some time in the characters and allow things to play out and develop and so with the movie i i i'm like you i'm like what are we doing? Where are we going with this? What's happening? You know, I'm kind of... But despite all that, I actually quite like the premise of this movie. Um, and I like the setting of it. You know, the, this, this this dome with the holographic projections. It's kind of real Hunger Games, Catching Fire, Truman Show type feel to it. But I agree with you. 
the way the characters interacted was was disappointing because it is a good cast. The dude from Stranger Things, I thought he was good with his. He did a great accent. Uh, uh, the what's her name? Anya Anya Taylor Joy is it? Yeah, Anya Taylor. Yeah, yep. from Queen's Gambit. I, I I quite liked her fiery, inappropriate humor, bad attitude approach, but that became tiresome as it went on. And the first thirty minutes was a lot of scene setting, and this was. You know, this was only an hour and a half, so I mean, that was a lot of scene setting, and it just didn't go anywhere. It never got going, and yeah, just and also since this is an X Men movie, just lean into that a bit more. There was no no not enough linkages to. I'm not asking them to connect the dots for me, but just even though I needed that, I just mean just just actually just buy into some of the stuff that's there in the universe because there wasn't enough of it. I I think this is the thing, right? Like the you know, you mentioned some of the cast there. Like we've got Maisie Williams, who was also in Game of Thrones, which I thought was interesting uh, that she could turn into a wolf, considering that was their their family sigil in Game of Thrones. Um, and you know, when you think about uh, Queen's Gambit, like with uh, Anya Taylor Joy, like you know, she she was a superstar in that TV series. As you as you said, um, Charlie Heaton from Stranger Things. Like these are all great characters, but I just I didn't. Considering how long the movie was, I didn't enjoy how angsty they were towards each other. I didn't enjoy the kind of the, the dark grittiness that they were trying to create. That just didn't feel, I don't know, it just nothing worked for me in this film. And I was glad that it was only an hour and a half in the end so that we could um, put it to bed. I'm obviously being harsh this week because I'm going to go after someone else. And that is Alice Bragger, who played the... The, the Doctor. Yeah, I just felt like that was a core key character and I just felt again she was just pretty middle of the road. Nothing spectacular and I know I've seen her in other things like The Predators and Elysium and she's, she's good but she was flat on that. Look Paul, we've talked about it before. You and I could cobble together a, a Walking Dead story with you know a couple of key characters and the right ingredients. It shouldn't be that hard to get a, a new mutants concept together with a few key characters it just it, I don't know how some of these things get past the various I guess producers and the um any sort of testing they do it just it makes no sense to me but this is a, a strong pass for me I I give it half a half a gun yeah I'm with you on that as well half a gun sounds about right all right well that's a it's a very uh it's a dark time. I'm glad we've talked about some positive things on the, yeah, on the podcast right. uh, this week. It's it's never good um, talking so negatively about these things. I always feel bad for obviously all the, the people involved in stuff, but you know, time is precious. Shall Correct. I take us on over to the news desk? What do you got for us? All right. So you um, may be aware of the, the Dexter revival, which we've talked about a, a few times here on the pod. And it looks like they are bringing back John Lithgow as the Trinity Killer. Did you watch Dexter, Paul? I watched a season and a bit, and I kind of didn't get it, and I dropped out, and I never went back. Okay, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, you, I, you remember you telling me about that. So, yeah, John Lithgow, he was one of the most awesome bad guys in this TV show. So I'm super excited to hear they're they're potentially bringing him back as the Trinity Killer. Super hyped for that. I'm really glad that they're actually going back to. Um, make it right and do a do the ending that they want to do with this TV show. That's pretty exciting. Uh, a little bit of Star Wars news. So it looks like uh, Disney 
has dropped the name of Boba Fett's um, starship in a new Lego set. So they are no longer calling it Slave One. They've got the name on it, Boba Fett's starship. What do you think about this, Paul? It's been all over the, the social media. There's so many people who are triggered by this. We all know what the name of that ship is. Does it really matter what's on the front of a Lego box that's 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 basically, by and large, I know you and I have a lot of Lego, but by and large aimed at kids. I don't know. I I I, I don't want to say I don't care, but I'm just like we all know what the name of that ship is. And you know, the Star Wars universe is full of slaves. Anakin was a slave. I mean it's all over the place and I I get that they want to move away from that word, but I don't know, storming a teacup. I love my Star Wars, but I'm not bothered. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, speaking of the, I guess, Boba Fett and the sort of the Mandalorian-style universe, so um, Ming-Na Wen has been recently filming for the book of Boba Fett, and because of such the, the tight reign that they have on scripts and making sure spoilers don't get out, uh, she actually thought that she was filming for The Mandalorian uh, for the first few weeks and didn't even know it was for the Book of Boba Fett, which looks like they obviously get that a secret from the, the you know, a need-to-know basis with things like that, which I think is awesome. So exciting times. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for this Book of Boba Fett. And, you know, I, I hear these murmurs and rumours around the internet that, you know, what if they, they bring real-life Cad Bane into the mix? Yeah, what if they do that, Paul? That would be just terrific. I'm, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, that would just be great. We've talked about the likeness to Clint Eastwood's characters. Just that kind of thing on in real life would just be absolutely superb. I'm fascinated by the whole not letting them know what they're actually filming for and then being like, surprise, it's actually not for The Mandalorian. I mean, like on such a need-to-know basis that we're not going to tell the people who are in front of the camera. Uh, that's great. Indeed, indeed. So good. Um, and then what else? I've got two other little bits of news. So a trailer has come out for the Sopranos prequel, which is uh, Many Saints of uh, Newark. And so this is basically the origin story of Tony Soprano, played by uh, James Gandolfini's son. And I don't know if you've seen this trailer yet, Paul, but this has got me hyped. And I've been, you know, I've been stewing on a, a Sopranos rewatch for a little while now. And... Even just watching this trailer made me want to get Sopranos out of the cupboard, put it on. Such a great TV show. Can't wait to see a young Tony Soprano. He's a badass. It's going to be good. It's really good. I was, when I saw the cast as well, and you know, you got John Bernthal and Ray Liotta, there's some, some, some real good cast in there. Um, having James Gandolfini's son, I just took one look and i was like wow that is incredible i mean what a i cannot think of any other uh father and son like yeah, that's just incredible absolutely incredible and of course with the fact that james Gandolfini has passed it's uh it must be quite a moment for him this is the way to do it jim and i you know bring it bring in a bring in someone a, a real person that's right. uh and then my final bit of news is ron pullman uh, has been cast in Transformers 7 to voice Optimus Primal. Oh, he's got a great voice. I'll give him that much. That could be... Uh... Indeed. Yeah. So, uh, okay, that's interesting because we just talked last week, Peter Cullen is back as Optimus Prime. So, uh, 
that's that's piqued my interest a little bit because I've never been massive on the beasts type side of of, of of Transformers. So this is that's that's ramped it up a bit. And that's all on my news desk today. Anything on yours, Paul? Not much because you covered off a couple of things. The one thing I was hoping to shock you with was the the Gandolfini story, but you you already got that one. The Knives Out two, that one has started production. I see, um, and Ethan Hawke is going to be a part of the the Who Done It. Ethan Hawke's great. Don't see him enough these days. Always enjoy him. Uh, and then the only other thing I had was Quentin Tarantino. Uh, he's written a couple of chapters of the Reservoir Dogs novelization. So um, I feel like <laughs> I can't believe a novelization doesn't already exist. But uh, the fact that he's he's writing it uh, ramps up the interest for that. I imagine so. Uh, that could be quite interesting because uh, he's great on screen. I wonder what it's like to read him. That's all I've got. Awesome. Uh, is there anything in the mailbag this week? Two things this week. Uh, firstly, um, last week's movie of the week was Unhinged, uh, starring Russell Crowe. And our review of Unhinged got a heap of exposure this week. It was shared by the film distributor, Studio Canal, and also by Neon here in New Zealand, who even added it uh, our review onto their Instagram story, which was pretty cool. And yeah, and then the second thing, as always, uh, peak performance last week, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, Firstly, we had Bruce Gray from Australia. He didn't specifically give us a peak performance. However, he did want to point out that uh, Arnold's role as Mr. Freeze doesn't get as much chatter in the Batman movie arena. And I have to admit, that character was one of the few things in that movie that I actually did enjoy. There wasn't a lot else. Um, Peter from Germany went with Total Recall. Good call. I I enjoyed that remake. I thought it was I thought it was alright. Michael Chalmers, North Carolina. He went with Terminator, Predator, and number one was Conan the Barbarian. And Paddy from Time Traveling Sync Podcast. He gave us his three, two, one as always. Twins, Conan the Destroyer, and Terminator. So very aligned to you, Dan. That's the mailbag this week. Awesome. Shall we move on over to our peak performances? Indeed. So just like movie of the week, each week Dan and I take it in turns to choose someone and then we we look at their career, whether they're an actor, director, producer, and try and pick their top three. Who do we go for this week, Dan? Well, hot off the heels of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is we've actually gone with Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone. It's a great... Oh. I had a lot of fun looking at his movies, and I might surprise you with a couple of my choices. I don't know. We'll see. Number three for me, Dan. I actually went with his character, Barney Ross, from The Expendables. Um, I guess probably The Expendables 2, if I had to, to choose between the three. These movies do get a hard time, but there's something nostalgic about them in terms of the action uh, all being real, it brought Sylvester back into the limelight again. I even hear there's a fourth one on the way. I don't know who's left the cameo in that, but it's a lot of fun. I know it's not a classic, but I just, in its own way, it's kind of iconic. And I just think it's now a part of the Sil- Sylvester Stallone identity. And I just I just really enjoy his, his character in that. Um, number two, I went back to 1993's Demolition Man. I love the plot of this movie. I and I just think Stallone is perfectly cast. I feel like he's perfect in the role, the way he despises the future, 
tech and all the rest of it in the new non-violent future uh, one of my favorite scenes is where he stood next to these machines that instantly give you fines if you if you swear and he just stands there deliberately swearing so he just gets ticket after ticket and for a sci-fi thriller there's a real comedy element to this movie um do you know how to use the three seashells though paul that's the question <laughs> wow you uh real hardcore in this movie i i don't know what i do know is though I, I did have a quick look at it again, and I spotted that the movie was set in the year 2032. So I think we should put that into our schedule for a rewatch for for 2032, so we can you know celebrate that one when it come when it get to that point. Um, number one for me uh, may surprise you, but it's a 1997 movie, Copland, and this is a really great movie. I think I think this was the first time I saw him. And I really felt not only, you know, not only could he really act, but he could also hold his own opposite, you know, Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta. All, for, for a big, strong action hero, he plays this really sort of gentle, likable guy. You really empathize with him because he's, uh, he's deaf or, or something. Or in one ear. No, in one ear. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, this is one of James Mangold's early movies. And honestly... You put this one in the movie of the week option. I'm going to choose it every time. It's a great movie. That's my three, two, one. Expendables, Demolition Man, and Copland. What have you got? All right. So yeah, this this was a, a real sort of fun hunt through the the back catalog of Sylvester Stallone. So uh, I have just changed up my number three for for I guess fun funsies I guess. So number three, I'm actually going to go with the 1993 movie Cliffhanger. So I don't know if you recall this movie. Mm. So this is basically about a, a botched media heist. Um, and it's got a whole bunch of, you know, climbing across the mountains, like epic kind of like dangling for your life scenes, lots of uh, hulked out um, Sylvester Stallone scenes as he as he pulls people up. And it's sort of one of those, those great chase movies through the mountains. It, you know, it probably doesn't translate well today, but I remember back in the day it being a lot of fun. Number two for me is I'm going to go with Rambo First Blood Part 2. So this is the, the Rambo movie that came out in 1985. This is the the first Rambo movie um, is, is a little bit more slower pace, a little bit more, I would say, serious, but this one sort of, you know, this is where... Rambo returns to the jungles of Vietnam on a mission to infiltrate an enemy base camp and rescue some American POWs. And this is where, in my view, the the badassness of Rambo really kicks into gear. And it just gets crazy from here on in. It's a bit like the Fast and the Furious universe. <laughs> a lot of fun. And then, number one for me, Adrian! I'm going to go with uh, the Rocky movies. And in particular, I'm going to go with uh, the first movie that came out in 1976, which kind of kicked off the whole franchise. And I I love this movie. I, I've watched it um, recently, and it, it, it's still a good watch. And I actually think what's interesting about Rocky, and even the first Rambo, is it actually really speaks to the depth of Sylvester Stallone. Like, people think of him as just sort of this, like, big, muscly, sort of, like, brute. But he he writes a lot of this um this material and, and he's, he tells some really good stories he's often involved behind the camera and i think rocky is actually a a good classic 
sort of seventies movie. Like it, it's you can tell by just sort of watching it that, that it's dated, but it's it's still a good wholesome story. So for me, uh, Cliffhanger, Rainbow, First Blood Part Two, and Rocky. Great choices. I I'm really glad that you've got Rambo and Rocky in there because I came out with my three and was like, how can I have Sylvester Stallone for Pete performance and not have either of those two in there? But like you said, it kind of speaks to some of you know the breadth of his of his stuff. So. I'm really pleased with our two two different choices there. I love that. Indeed. Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures Podcast. It does indeed. Don't forget to get in touch with us if you want to be in the mailbag, either halfmeasurespodcast.com or get us on the social media at Half Measures Pod on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And our thanks once again to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, for supporting this week's episode. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you too would like to become a Patreon and producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, adios.